brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Kiss the Ground. Today's guest is an amazing, amazing man, Darren Doherty. And he actually works intimately with Kiss the Ground in that any farmers who come through Kiss the Ground's program uh, and want to have expert technical training in how to transition to regenerative agriculture, Darren and Regrarians, which is his educational platform, is one of the offerings that we offer to farmers who are wanting to make a transition to regenerative agriculture. So it was an amazing, amazing conversation to understand. Uh, Darren comes from Australia. Um, he's been training farmers for uh, generations. He comes from, a, he's a fifth generation farmer. Um, and I believe that he's trained over 15,000 uh, farmers, ranchers, um, and people in the agricultural space. Um, over his uh, time of being an educator and facilitator. Uh, he comes through the world of permaculture. Uh, he comes through the world of key line design, which you will learn some about in the, in the podcast. Uh, and really, Darren takes us through the layers of all the things, all the complexity of what farmers and ranchers will confront going from a conventional monoculture system of agriculture to going to a diversified and regenerative uh, direction of agriculture. He, he ultimately is a legend. He's someone who's been in the space of Regen Ag um, and the philosophy and thinking and practices um, for generations and really this conversation, it's, it's extraordinary, and I learned a lot, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. My life, my purpose was to be a protector or to care for Mother Earth, for nature. Soil really is the nutritional bank account for our existence. Together, we can do something that we've never done before. We can rebuild our ecosystem, our degraded soils, and our degraded water cycles. Freedom to me is the ability, the right to be all of who you are. I think we can all do our roles, even if you're not a farmer. From the words of Rumi, let the beauty you love be all that you do. 
there is hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. So, Darren, my first question, um, you know, doing a little research on you and understanding your backstory, you know, I understand that you come from, I, I think, five generations of farmers. Um, and I just would love to understand, is your approach to agriculture similar um, to the generations that came before you or not? That's a great question. And five generations in Australia since we landed here. And of course, you know, like most people, they were agrarian before that. Um, so, um, yeah, look, I'm going to say yes, because um, my great grand, oh, sorry, my grandfather, um, who was one of the biggest influences on me, um, he, uh, because it was his farm that I grew up on, because um, my fa my father was killed in Vietnam, so in the war when I was about when I was four months old, and so uh, my mum, who was only twenty one, uh, we stayed living. So I, when I was born, we we moved. We were on her family farm because my father was away, and then he didn't come back, so we sort of stayed there. And so my fa my grandfather became like my father figure, as it were. Mm. And that farm was, um, well, it was really diverse. It had, I would say that probably the biggest inspiration about that particular place was its layout, which was inspired by P.A. Yeomans and the whole key line thing. So I was just thinking about this yesterday, how I used to ride around the district with my brother and I had a set of bolt cutters um, being the delinquent youth that I was. And my delinquency was that I would cut the the chain which held the valve on the water the water canals that were in the district mm -hmm. and i loved watching the, the the running water so i'd open up the valves and i'd fill up someone's pond without them knowing it and breaking all sorts of laws no doubt but you know that was because when on our farm we did all we did flood irrigation and using the key line method and um so i uh so, yeah, so that was big, but my grandfather took no, paid no attention to soil health, uh, paid, you know, we didn't do cover crops or any of that sort of fancy stuff that we do now, but there was the apparatus of how the farm was laid out. And as a result, I did my first farm plan when I was about seven or eight. I can still remember it now. I don't know where it is. I wish I could find it in my mum's house or something because I'd love to see it. But, but because the farm was so methodically laid out, you know, it was all lines. You know, when you've got an irrigation layout, you've got nodes and you've got connections and you've got parcels in between. So I still see the world through that, through those eyes. So, yeah. So I don't think, don't think operationally, but definitely um, that, that set me on a path. That's for sure. And so I'd love to I'd love to understand a little bit more because I even in you know my experience in the regenerative agriculture space you know I've I've gone to a couple permaculture courses and stuff and have you know had conversations about key line design but you know being that you're saying that you you created your first farm plan at seven and that you know you come from like, a lineage maybe nine I don't maybe know. nine <laughs> yeah maybe nine uh, but. Yeah, I, I guess I'd love to, you know, personally, I'd love to just deeply understand the, you know, the understanding, the key line design philosophy and sort of um, origin of where it came from and how it applies to, you know, ecological management of, you know, farming systems. 
Well, um, P.A. Yeomans was a mining geologist who had fairly uh, humble beginnings, um, was loved, yeah, taught at, you might say, the equivalent of community colleges. Mm. So he got that sort of diploma level in um, education as a mining geologist, which a lot of people did in a mining country. And, and this, is in, well, this is in Australia? This is in Australia, um, in, the, um, in rural New South Wales, which is the most populous state and the first state of the country. And he um, went around and got quite a reputation as, a, and as, as an assayer. So he could go into a landscape, look at the shape of it, mm-hmm. um, and from the shape of the landscape, um, he would then be able to tell you whether that whether they those hills had gold or whether those hills had tin or whatever mineral they were probably likely to bear or not um, and established a reputation as that. So he was a really good reader of landscapes. Yes. And then he became quite wealthy in the Second World War, as a number of people did, uh, as an earth-moving contractor. And from that, when he was in his early 40s, he bought properties. He bought rural properties, um, which has always been a a status symbol for people, um, whether they're nouveau riche or whether, whether they're from, uh, you might say, more highly bred folk, is there's a lot of status in owning rural property. Um, so he bought a few properties. His wife said to him, you can buy anywhere as long as we can be back by dinner in Sydney. Um, so, so that was the, the cat. So they bought a series of properties and then he applied what was in vogue at the time called soil conservation, which... Uh, came from a place called the United States. Uh, that was developed in, by the, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers in the 1930s as part of the, the New Deal of uh, FDR. And, and post that, the that, Dust Bowl. Yeah, post the Dust Bowl. And that, that, whole, that, that created a whole set of, um, you might say, treatments, landform, landforming and uh, landscaping treatments writ large, um, which then came to places like Australia and New Zealand, who were suffering, particularly Australia, was suffering our own dust bowls um, in, in what is a, a period of parallel uh, agricultural history. So if you look at Oklahoma and the period that, that when that was settled and when it was developed, it was a very similar um, timeline to what was happening here in Australia. And, and is, all, it, yeah. is it true that because Australia is a much more brittle environment you guys were able to or 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 agriculture and you know sort of broke the environment and created more desertification faster because of it's a depends on where you are yes and no it's you know if you look at you like the oklahoma is a is a good example of a place like there's parts of australia which are very very similar to oklahoma texas um and the southwest but particularly those states um and new mexico um, and California. Um, so there's lots of Australia that looks like that. Um, doesn't have the extremes of the Canadian fronts that come down, of course. So, you know, the climates aren't quite the same, but landform-wise and ge- geography-wise, very similar. When you land in Texas, you go, oh, yeah, I could be in parts of Queensland or, or if I'm in Oklahoma, I could be in parts of New South Wales. And there's summer rainfall, and that's important. So the differential between having a summer rainfall or a summer dominant rainfall environment to a winter rainfall environment has plays a lot of plays a big part in the way that water interacts with that landscape. So that's where Yeomans found himself, and all of these 
chicks that were coming from the US, he took on because they were the, the vogue of best land management practice to arrest these problems of landscape decline, flooding and fire and, and drought and all of the rest of it. But he soon found that they, there was significant limitations to that. And being a miner, in mining, they use a lot of tailings dams. So when they, when they uh, process the ore and whatnot, they've got, to, they've got to hold it somewhere. And they also need a lot of water. So he, was, he found himself, uh, when he got to ag land, looking at, gee, they dig these little tiny little ponds, which dry out really quick, and they put them way down the bottom of the landscape. And in mining... They do all the way up high in the landscape. They use gravity. They use ch channels to harvest water. So he was sort of pulling all of this stuff together in an integrated form and ultimately came up with his own farm planning platform, which was, as a whole platform, the first broad-scale farm planning platform the world has ever seen. Now, because so soil conservation wasn't a platform as such of a, a, or a suite or it didn't have a sort of a, a whole array of um, approaches which were aligned, um, whereas Yeomans, um, particularly in 1958 when he wrote his second book, uh, The Challenge of Landscape, put together the, the what's called the, the key line scale of permanence. Um, and from that scale of permanence, you could really use that as a, as a strong foundational framework from which to plan any farm anywhere in the world. And uh, that's, so that's what, he, that's what he pulled together. And he's extremely popular. I mean, he would have thousands. I mean, I don't know anyone still who had the pulling power, and I'm talking globally, who had the pulling power that he had. I mean, even Joel Salatin doesn't get these sorts of numbers at his farms. He would regularly get thousands of people to his farms in the 1950s and 60s for field days and all sorts of things. His books were bestsellers. Um, yeah, he was a really, really powerful individual. And I'd say to round that thread off, that probably the biggest thing, and this is what I found on our family farm, was that his concepts were so powerful and so well adopted that people didn't know that they were his. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Right, so my grandfather didn't know about PA Yeomans, but what he'd done in terms of Lay's property out was all key line. It just wasn't called that because it had, it had permeated the... Um, the way people had developed their farm so powerfully, it uh, it uh, was very pervasive. It's quite, yeah, it's a very interesting study. Yeah. And so again, to just understand it, so key line design is 
it, it, it's about des- it's farm layout and planning, but it also is deeply connected to the way water flows. No or yeah. not? Well, Yeoman's defined it in a number of ways, but the one that the way that he defined it most when people said, "Oh, what's Keyline about?" He said it's about the control of water. And so some people look at that and go, like if you're the permaculture sort of crowd, for example, broadly people when they think of keyline from the permaculture context or in the permaculture lens, it's usually about building dams or ponds and building channels and irrigation, you know, doing lots of earthworks because Yeomans was very heavy on earthworks. But actually the way he really um, thought about the control of water was just as we do with holistic management or other methodologies such as that, and that's the control of the raindrop. It starts at the raindrop. So what happens there? And then because when he looked at his um, discussion around climate, which was the first part of his scale of permanence, then the first part of that was what's the climate of the soil like? And the climate of the soil frames the climate of fertility and the climate of fertility uh, frames the climate of stability. And if your soil is fertile, then it doesn't erode, right? But if your soil is fertile, it also accepts all the water that comes to it. And so that's the way he really framed it. But a lot of people, of course, they're going to look at the big picture. They're they're going to look at the, um, the... the earthworks, because they're the big ticket ticket items. Hmm. But there's, you know, whereas, as you well know, and a lot of your listeners would know, there's nothing really much to see about an, a, when, a, when a raindrop infiltrates, because you don't see the raindrop infiltrating. It disappears all of a sudden. It's like, but you do see a flood yes. and you do see running water, you know, so you know what I mean? Yes. So there's a lot of, I mean, I've studied yeomans probably as much as anybody has, Um and, you know, it's been my main form of scholarship and for the last 30 years. And um, all of that's been really fascinating to me to understand that really clearly. But that's really, to me, where it is. It starts with the control of water. But then from that, what supports the control of water overall is some sort of whole farm layout, which ultimately is going to be a reflection of your context as an enterprise and and uh, your financial context and so on and so forth as it stands today particularly yeah wow so yeah i, I guess one one of the things that you know i was re- i was reading on your website which you know is saying that um to be satisfied with mere sustainability is just simply lacking ambition uh to be satisfied with sustaining a dying communities ecosystems and economies um you know, we obviously, as Kiss the Ground, have been sort of a PR company and championing, um, <laughs> you know, regenerative agriculture. Um, I'm glad, and, I'm glad and, you and, describe yourself as such. It's, it's <laughs> <great>. <laughs> uh, um, you know, and and you know, really shifting from a sustainable mindset to a regenerative mindset. But mm-hmm. obviously, you, you know, it really has been your scholarship for you know such a long time thinking about this. Um, and I would love to just hear. Yeah, how you how you speak and how you communicate about um, you know the ideals of sustainability versus the ideals of uh, regeneration as it uh, pertains to this moment and you know to life on planet Earth. <laughs> okay, <laughs> jeez. 
<laughs> and you're and you're into PR. I thought you'd be after some soundbody stuff. <laughs> no, look, uh, look. I, I mean, I've probably softened my approach as as well. People as they get older, I suppose they go either way. They get more radical or soften or a bit of both. Um, look, I. I I frame everything, try, I try and frame everything just to keep calm in my own mind by looking at um, uh, and seeing hope in my own mind by trying to just look at things within context um, mm. and, and trying to come back to that all the time. So when, you know, when you, when you recant something that I might have said once about, you know, about a lack of ambition, well, you know, if you have a lack of ambition in your life, well, then that's okay. I mean, you know, a lot of people are just trying, waking up in the morning and just trying to get by. So, you know, the ambition as such may be a bit limited because life's tough um, for them. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a probably a, it's coming from a bit of a place of privilege to go and make blank, blanket statements like that, I would say, from my perspective. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd just like to make that clear because a lot of people just don't have the privilege to be able to have a lot of those sorts of choices. Everyone, I think everyone has ambition, but being able to realise it is, is means different things for different people. Mm. And then you've got your landscape. Your landscape's got a context that you're working with, whether that's the cultural landscape in which you are or whether that's the physical landscape in which you are, which, which, you, which you reside and work, that has a context. And so, and it, it has an ambition. I think that, when I look at landscapes, I think landscapes have ambitions. Organisms have ambitions. You know, the COVID virus has an ambition. Um, you know, it's a living, it's a living organism. It has ambitions, um, and all species do. So and, that, and, so and that, what, that's got what, to play out. We we what, either support that or we don't. You know, that's that's I suppose that's where we get to. What do you, what do you, again just from again? I know you don't know, but from your perspective and thinking about this you know what do you see as the 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 covid ambition well it's to survive and to thrive and to adapt and to change that's but that's 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 the that's the blueprint of every species every Mm. species doesn't emerge to die It, it 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 emerges to reproduce itself and with every and inbuilt with that is to continually improve as a species, so that it's going to be able to adapt to the changes in the environment that it finds around it. So I think we all have that, and that's part of what we've got to appreciate. That, um, and that's why I think it's really important to appreciate all living species for the role that they play. I mean, I was listening to someone yesterday crap on about killing all the mosquitoes. I said, "Are you?" freaking joking i mean if you really got any idea i mean it, I, I was up awake at three o'clock the other morning as i tend to and I, uh, you know when you get you wake up at that time and sometimes you you sort of in a half sleep and you half worry about things and my half worry that morning was the massive um death of insects around the world um you know <laughs> like who when was the last time you wiped your your windscreen and your car of insects i mean that doesn't happen anymore, right? Now that my, scares, my, my, that my, scares the that scares the shit out of me, right? My Be- friend, my friend just drove from Vermont to California, and he got to California, and he had thirty bugs. I mean, I remember yeah. when you'd yeah. have just a, a it's 
yeah, you'd have to clean out your radiator, you'd put pieces of uh, fly screen in your radiator and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I know, that's all gone. So, so this all comes to this point, you know, that if we're going to be in the life business, you've got to really be in the life business. And part of that is appreciating variability and, and inviting it. But also, but also understanding it and understanding how that will be for you and appreciating the full context of what that's going to mean. And that's that's where I've sort of got to with this with this question or that kind of question now. Um, is we've got you, know, you can't be half you can't have half your body or half your mind in the life business. It's all in or it's not in at all, right? It's you can sort of dip your toe as you're transitioning. Because a lot of people are in that, particularly in agriculture, you're transitioning from the I am only going to try and support a set a set number of life life systems. Right? I'm going to have, I mean, in the world, in the words of the uh, I can't remember the act that we had years ago, the, the Leafy Greens program, um, which emerged after the um, after people died from eating spinach in California. Um, E. coli. Yeah, the, yeah. So people died. Da, da, da. There was the Leafy Greens program that was emerged, um, which was, uh, I think, put out by the FDA. And the premise of that was that you were not allowed to have any non-crop organisms growing in a particular area of your farm if you signed up to that. Now, if that's where you are at, and that's what the bulk of at least Western agriculture is at, where there's just a set stock of, of organisms that you're, you, you want to support, and then you want to transition over to a, a regenerative kind of system, well, that's a big shift for you to going over from a tightly controlled, you know, lack of variables, you know, a really, really tightly modelled sort of system over to one that invites variables and invites all land or uh, invites all life forms. That's a big shift for people. That's a so, huge. You know, I mean, that's a that's a that's a. It's it's yeah. It's a I quantum mean, shift. Yeah, it's, it's a, a quantum shift. So you can see why people are shit scared of changing because if you've been in that space, which some people have for multiple generations now, um, and they've done really well. I mean, this is the thing about modern ag. It is really successful. It's really successful. You, Take away the energy stuff about what it consumes and what it kills and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, when you look at how much it actually produces and reliably, it's amazing. And with much less water and so on. So, you know, you can scratch the code on it, but it actually is a successful system at producing quote unquote nutrients. Calories, for yeah. A popu- yeah, for calories, thank you, for a population. And it does it really well. But, um, but, in terms of that raw thing. So if that's how it works, getting it over to, to turn it so that it actually supports life is another matter. <laughs> if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, 
you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. I, I understand that you've been working with training farmers for many years, maybe 15,000 people you've trained in your, in your career. Um, and, you know, you, you said that, you know, you, you've, you've gotten a little softer or in your, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm 53 I'm, now. I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what are some examples where you have been able to, um, again, one of the most ex exciting things for me is being able to see a farmer that has gone from a conventional or a more conventionally minded, you know, monoculture, chemical intensive, um, and and the, the, their willingness and their experience of humbly communicating that they feel alive, that they start seeing life happen on their farm. There's a, a greater level of joy and happiness. Um, you know, there's, and, and again, I, I know that there's, you know, few and far between because there's lots of people that it's, it's difficult to make that leap. Um, but as someone who's been training people over, you know, many years and, you know, thousands of people trained, um, what are some of the the examples that have you know that leave you continuously inspired and you know to 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 continue to push forward you know this mission and agenda and you know approach and um yeah i'm just curious you know what are some of well, those examples that really have moved you that like wow this is possible even mm. where as an educator you're like wow it feels really good to see this working in this real world experience for this human being. Yeah, well, there's lots of different examples of that. Like just this morning, we had a, a Q&A on our um, Rex program, our 13-week farm planning program that we do twice a year. And we're in, what are we, week two of that? And we're talking about holistic context and we've been talking about um, this type of thing. So it's very fresh in my mind about, you know, at the outcomes um, of a, and, and what I would say the pathways of a transition, because everyone has a different period of transition and everyone potentially has a different um, uh, push point for why they have actually gone through a transition as well. So that's all um, very fascinating to me because anyone who's working in extension as such um, is really has to be interested in what what drives people to what are the motivations for making transitions in anything in any practice change. So 
Um, but then, as you, you're saying, well, what are the th- what are, what are the points of reward for you to keep you motivated to be involved in this game in the first place? Because if you were in a game where there was no one transitioning, and you know there wasn't a lot coming back, not a lot of love being returned, <laughs> in terms of that sort of in terms of your context being realised, well, then that would probably say, well, either you're doing a bad job or um, you might need to do something else. <laughs> to get rewarded. So, um, but, you know, look, it's been, it's, there's so many different things. You know, it can be, uh, I've got examples where it's just families getting together, you know, where you've got, because the great thing about this game, I suppose, to call it that, is that it's, it's, it's as much a social game as, as it is, uh, you know, a natural landscape management game. And, in fact, that's where we often more, I'd say more often than not, we have to start with that part, um, the um, the social part. So I found myself spending a lot more time on so on understanding psychology and sociology and all of the sort of you know, humanities of all of this than I than I anticipated when I uh, when I was I elevated myself from the nine year old that I was um, to doing uh, let's say more fancy farm plans in my twenties in my 30s, it got to the point where it was actually the main limiting factor was humans. But then um, to go to your question, then the main reward with that was the change in humans and the way that they would uh, grow themselves, but then also in the way that they would behave with each other um, and that they would engage with each other. And that, that's been tremendous. And I can give you so many examples of that where, you know, we've had some examples where people have had, like they've come to our trainings and then they have had the most brutal conversations to, to have followed. Like I've got people rang up and said, oh, I drove away from your course and, um, you know, we just did a one or two or three day course and we were talking about stuff and it opened the lid. You know, that mm. I remember one day a woman rang up and she'd come to a course, the daughter came with her father and they'd, they'd always had a bit of a strained relationship and they drove home and apparently they just shouted at each other the whole way home. And she rang me up and said, oh, my mom, my dad and I, just, <laughs> we haven't been talking for weeks and da 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 And then we had a talk about, well, look, you know, that's, that's what happens sometimes. You've got to have, you've got to have a bit of disturbance you know, there's got to be something that brings the emotions out in you, and that's not a bad thing. Sometimes, if people don't have the emotional maturity or the experience to deal with that, they'll, that'll be terminal. Like they won't speak to each other for months or years, or it'll be over. But I said that you know, you've just got a lot of stuff out that you've been bottling up because you haven't been communicating effectively for probably forever. Your whole relationship. So come back, take him out for tea, or go for a walk with him, or. Do something with your dad. Go out in a boat. Find something he likes to do. And just just go out and spend the time with him and see where that takes you. And so, and now they're working together and have been ever since. They set their boundaries. They set their context. They went through, they went through a transition, which is not necessarily an easy one. But they went through it and they came out the other side. So you've got that sort of stuff. And then, then we hear people. You know the the natural stuff of oh gee I found this bird today and I'm really excited or there's this new grass that's appeared or man, I've got no, I've got no, um, you know, all the water's infiltrate. You know, there's so many of those little tidbits which come through, which are awesome. And to, I mean, I don't feel responsible for that, but it's nice to be able to know that perhaps you've had a role in 
um, helping people along a, a pathway that that they'll develop themselves, um, um, that uh, and that they'll roll with themselves. That uh, has led to all of these fantastic outcomes. You know, big, small, because it's it's all it's so individual. What and that's where I suppose I've got to again is that um, everyone's individual triggers and happiness points and points of interest are so individual. You know, what one person appreciates is something another person will completely walk over. So, um, which is, goes to the feedback of my journey is trying to be more of a facilitator of that as opposed to, because my role has changed considerably where I was the master planner and I'd master plan this and I was really anal about it. I tried to, as my wife would say, I tried to do everything for everyone to make it really easy for them. Mm. And to the point where that just, I, you, know, you can't be the master controller of everyone's lives. Only God can do that, um, right? So <laughs> just, and then you're dealing with human will anyways. So what's the point? But my job has changed to being, all right, well, here's a set of tools that are available to you. Here's some stuff that you can work on with yourself. And here's an approach. We basically teaching people how to fish as opposed to doing fishing for them. From a from a social perspective, in terms of a social social renewal uh, or a family dynamic renewal, a business renewal, but also a landscape and agroecological landscape and uh, enterprise perspective, just giving people tools so they can do that themselves. But do it in a context where you've got support because that's really important. Yeah, my two my two questions that came up there is. One, I'm just curious from how you were sharing right now, you know, overdoing, you know, doing this work over how many years have you been doing this work? Uh, since 93, so nearly 28 years or something. Yeah. And just oh, in my okay. own life, um, you know, there's moments where um, we think we think we know and we think we're on kind of top of it. And then we have a moment where we're like sand going through our hands and like we have feeling like I know I do, nothing. I do, I do that on purpose all the time because I've always had this thing where I go, oh, yeah, I'm on top of it. And then bang, go, no, you're not dickhead. <laughs> so I, I have actually learned to do that just to myself to actually keep smacking myself in the head. And, yeah. and, hope, and, and the outcomes that come, I invite those outcomes because they're fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess my, my question was, in your 28 years, have you hit a wall where you kind of like everything you were kind of the, the, the architects you were standing on and the kind of conviction that you were operating with, like that, you know, kind of all fell apart? Um, and, you know, yeah. kind of how did you? How did you, how did you, where did you go from there? What, what, what was that, what was that moment and where did you? Well, I've had, a few, you... I've had a few of those. Um, probably the first big one was in 2001. We nearly went broke. Um, that was, uh, we had a whole lot of, because I was doing a whole lot of projects and lots of them. I was doing about like 150 projects on the ground a year. So it was a lot of stuff, whether it was a, you know, a little olive grove here, a little dam, a pond project or quite big olive projects or vineyards or just, whole farm plans that we were doing the installation of because I do the dot design, I do all the project management, all the installation, but I was the, I was at the head of the apex. Um, and uh, we had a few projects that uh, where some of the contractors stuffed up a bit and I had to uh, 
carry the can on that, and that put us really close to the wall. And so that was a that was a major um, upheaval and made us. Uh, well, really, there, there was no choice. You know, the, when you get to those sorts of points in your life where you've got no, where the choices are gone, um, then, um, or the choices are really, really limited, uh, then uh, that that makes you think a bit. So we got out of that one. Um, and uh, with a year of work and negotiation and all that sort of stuff, it was quite humbling, as you'd expect. And I don't feel humbled to talk about it because I think that, it's important to, you know, not many people will go through their lives without having some shit, horrible thing happen. And I'm grateful it was something like that, not a death or something, you know, much, much worse, you know. So, um, and then other, to- or, you know, some sort of health-related issue. Um, and then oh, that probably that's probably the worst thing that's happened, really. Um, and then, which would, um, and then things like, just coming across things, uh, you know, re- reopening the door to holistic management, which was closed so abrupt- abruptly for me. And in 1995, I stood beside Bill, the late Bill Mollison in his library and he had a copy of Holistic Resource Management, the first edition in his library. And I pulled it out and he just happened to be standing there. He said, put that back. That's destroying Africa. And um, so I did. Uh, I put Wow. I, I, yeah. Because I'm in my 20s, what was I? Was it 95? So I was 26, 27. I'm standing beside the great man in his place, wow. in his amazing library. I pull that book out. And he said, no, put that bloody thing away. So um, and anyway, so you get points like that. And then, um, and then later on opening that book again and going, why did I listen to Bill? I mean, I love Bill. He was a great friend and really, you know, the utmost respect for him on so many levels. But it was like a, I just felt at that moment like I just lost, what, 10 years. Mm. And that's never a good feeling at any stage of your life. <laughs> no. um, so <laughs> I just thought, oh, God, I've just gone about – there's just so many things I would have done differently. But anyway, that's so there's that and um, – opening that door again um and then and that was that was that that was alan's that alan savory's book that the yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so the first edition which i think was released in 1988 was called the holistic resource management and then the next edition which was released i think in 91 or 94 or something that was called holistic management and then the third edition which was released just a couple of years ago is also called holistic management but it's a each one of them has been a completely new rewrite basically um they're completely new additions so um and then um oh then more after that that sort of opened the door in our first world tours that we did the uh 2007 soil water and uh, soil water and carbon for every farm world tour that we did for 13 months in 2007 um that kicked us down the way of um, creating a, well, I, I called that it to myself, my interview with the planet, because I'd never really traveled that much out of Australia up to that point. I'd lived in Vietnam for a few years, but outside of that, I'd never gone to the US or South, you know, I hadn't gone around the world um, yeah. and seen all the scenes. I'd only sort of interacted with it on the nascent internet that was available then. And so that was really powerful. 
Um, and it also made me realise that a lot of what we, what I was doing was front running. Um, so a lot of people, like I introduced regenerative agriculture, key line, all of this stuff to a whole range of new markets that are just south of, you know, parts of South America, Central America, parts of the US even, Europe definitely. So I introduced this whole sort of thing and I went, oh, I would have thought they'd be up with this, but they weren't. And so that was interesting because that put me in a sort of a, a bit of a power position which I then needed to navigate. But what I realised was that the suite of what I had put together wasn't packaged well enough. So the PR hadn't been done properly as in your parlance. Um, <laughs> but also when you look at it from down the ground, if you're an agriculturalist and you're looking, you're listening to someone like me and you're getting inspired by the photos and the, the pictures of others' success, or what's the next step? What's the pathway? And so that was the next thing was to develop a pathway. And so that was a big step forward for me as well in trying to rationalise how that would happen. And that brought me back to Yeomans again with the key line scale of permanence as the underlying framework. Well, I turned it into a framework which became the Rugarians platform, which we've rolled on with ever since. So that was a really big point. That was in terms of the positive leap forward the development yeah. of the regarians platform was by far the biggest leap forward it just because it consolidated the the pr part because you've got to have a package to pr as you know um you've also got to have which people can see and can latch on to and understand quite simply um but then you've also got to be able to deliver on that package um so it can't be just a fluffy package a nice looking package it's also got to have some content Yes. And um, and work and so that that was the that was probably where we're at and I suppose more recently it's been the collaborative work that we've done. Um, I remember uh, it, was a, it was a good moment. Um, we were filming the Polyfaces film, which my wife and our eldest daughter made, which is a great film. We're very proud of it. And in 2014, we invited uh, Alan Savory to come to Polyface Farm, and um, Alan. Alan and Joel, and I, told, I said to Joel, oh, we've, do you mind if I, because um, we were doing our last filming of the of the Polyfaces doco, and I said to um, Joel, I said, hey, mate, uh, would you mind if we had Alan and Jody come over for a bit of a look? We were all going to London for the first Savory Conference in 2014. Yes. I said, I've, I said, would that be okay, guys? How the hell did you get him to come to Poly? How did you, hell did you get Alan to come? I've been asking him for years, and I said to Joel, I said, mate, I just bought him a plane ticket and put him <laughs> up in an Airbnb. That's all it took because <laughs> Joel was too tight <laughs> and Alan's too tight. <laughs> anyway, so we got them there, and Alan summons Joel and I over, like, because at Polyface, you get up and they do their work in the morning, like they do all their chores, and then you come in for breakfast. That's their, that's their sort of drill. And anyway, we got up and we're following Joel around and blah, blah. Anyway, um, Alan says, come over here, you two. He summons us as the sort of uh, you know, African overlord. Yeah, and, as, uh, <laughs> and, and the youngsters. <laughs> yeah, that's right, the young bucks. <laughs> anyway, so it was like you got... Alan Savory, who's, you know, born in 1936, and then you've got Joel Sallett in 1957, and then me, 1967. So you've got these sort of three monkeys in a row. <laughs> and um, sort of 
sort of of different generations. And Alan sits, and Alan's at the apex, and uh, as he is, because he's an apex character. And he said, "We're all fucked." And we go, "Oh shit!" You know, because you don't swear at Polyface. <laughs> Alan <So laughs> wants to swear; he can swear. He said, "Everything we're doing is a waste of fucking time." And we go, "Jeez, where's this going?" And Joel's sort of just cringing back up in his chair. And he said, everything that we are doing is a waste of time because none of us are at the same table and we'll never get anywhere unless we're at the same table. And he just he was just rattling on and rattling on. And Joel came away from that really deeply affected. Oh, Joel's a really positive, upbeat character. I'm a great friend. Of, you know, through all the work we've done with him, we've become close mates. And uh, he was pretty rattled. And he was really upset with Alan. He said, how dare this bloke come to my farm and tell me all the work that I've done has been shit and <laughs> all this stuff. Anyway, um, but, anyway, but- I calmed you down. I said, look, look, the point, I said, Alan's right. I said, you know, this space is, because I did a speech a few years before that. Um, I said, I don't know what it was, at an organic conference. And I said, yeah, everyone's struggling with brand confusion in this space because there's more there's more brands in the eco ag market than there are beer brands, and you just don't know what to choose or who to go with or whatever. And it's just like, you know, because once you open the door, it's like, oh, do I go with permaculture, biodynamics, holistic management? There's a lot. It's a really noisy space. And there doesn't, and anyone once you scratch, you then realize it's part of all of these ecosystems. And, you know, and off it goes. And so it wasn't until um, Lauren from your organisation, Lauren Tucker, came to us a few years ago and I think identified a similar issue and wanted to get a sort of a single um, digital platform along and questioned about that, um, about how we might manage something like that. We had Zach Bush on the call and I think Alan Williams from Soil. Um, Soil Health and uh, Academy and a few others, uh, the Sa- Daniela uh, from uh, Savory and so on, to basically address that thing that Alan sort of <laughs> blasted at us years before. And so where I'm getting to is more recently this year, we've sort of looked at, well, the COVID experience, I think, has given us the sort of pause and the opportunity and the disturbance to be able to and, and plus increased internet bandwidth has given us the possibility to uh, be able to pull that off a lot more. So we're so that's been the next big leap for us is to uh, get a lot more collaboration with a lot more organi- uh, organisms, uh, with a lot more uh, organisms. <laughs> I'm going to get again. Organisations. <laughs> I think of them the same. They've obviously got the same etymology. Yes. Yeah, and entomology. <laughs> Yeah, so sorry about the long answer, but that's, that's you know, we've got these, there's these leaps and bounds which are going along and, um, yeah, getting us closer to an ecosystem. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. 
Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What Alan was saying was just that in if we keep on going on in our own little isolation um, silos, you know, kind of it, yeah. silos and standing on our soapboxes and doing our thing, um, you know, it's not going to it, it, it won't work. No, we won't get uh, there. We won't or get if there. we do, it'll be bloody too late. <laughs> yeah. And. And so, again, you know, you know, we're 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 super honored that we, you know, part of our um, work to serve farmers is providing scholarships. As you well know, I think I don't know if there's ten or twelve or there's a, yeah. there's a group. Yeah, of, we've got a yeah, we've got a few people on this, and we've done that repeatedly with with Kiss the Ground, which is amazing. Yeah, um, yeah, which I mean, again, so thrilled and honored that we can channel people who are eager and excited and enthusiastic and, you know, wanting to go in that direction and being able to, um, you know, put them in the hands of, you know, expertise, you know, such as yourselves, such as the Soil Health Academy, such as Savory. Um, and, you know, again, in that spirit of bringing people together. Yeah, um, that's exactly right on. Yeah. And uh, again, just so people, because I think we, we kind of got further out, but I, I'd love to just have our audience really just understand the agrarians platform um and kind of what you yeah what you're providing those farmers who are coming through kiss the grounds program as well as you know the farmers who are coming or ranchers that are coming you know from all over the world to you for education well the agrarians platform as i said earlier was um instigated by um, us um realizing the that the key line scale of permanence as P.A. Yeomans outlined in 1958, um, which had eight factors. Um, it was climate, land shape, water, uh, uh, farm dams or farm ponds, as you would call them in the US, um, uh, farm roads, um, farm trees, building, farm buildings, um, subdivision fences, and soils. So they were the eight factors and they were all very agriculturally minded. So you were, and you were looking at the relative permanence of each one of those. So the climate, you can't change very easily. We're doing our best as a legion of humans <laughs> to do that. Um, but it's hard, it's, it's taken a long time. We've had to burn a lot of shit for a long time to get to this point. Um, and then at the other end, you've got soils and soils can be, you know, destroyed in a year. Um, they're very, very fast. Trees mm. last longer than soils and so on. So there was that relative permanence that he built into that as an aid to you then deciding how you would um, put all of that together in a, in a 
farm infrastructure plan, as it were. Mm. Yeah. So we looked at that and, oh, well, I looked at that as being a really solid framework and starting point, but it wasn't holistic because it didn't consider, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've been packing in today about how, you know, how do you deal with financial relationships, how do you deal with um, social relationships and so on, all of the other things that make up, you know, when you've got an agricultural enterprise or an agroecological enterprise, it is a very complex beast. Uh, so many disciplines involved, more disciplines than any other um, part of industry. Um, it's really super complex. Yeah, so yeah, that, that makes me think of, I know a doctor who's a biodynamic farmer and a doctor and he's like, yeah, being a doctor is so much easier <laughs> than being a biodynamic farmer. You have one species that you're dealing with, you know, of, uh, as a biodynamic yeah. farmer, you have, you know, hundreds of species that you're, you're, you're dealing with the nuances of how they're reacting in, you know, all these different changing circumstances. Yeah, you, know, you never, never get bored. That's for sure. So... So we looked at it from that perspective, and so I so I really changed it from um, being a set of scale of permanence factors to almost being like a checklist a, a, and a Dewey system, like a way of just being able to to be able to, which is I suppose a reflection on the way I try and think of just just trying to categorise stuff so you can navigate the enormous complexity that there is, and that. A lot of people who are going through a transition find themselves. It's like this whole, like you open the lid and it's just like, whoa, right, man, this is this is complex, right? So, yes. so that that's why I framed it in that way as layers, because then you've got the climate, you know, but it just calms things down a bit as best we can. So you you know you've got your climate layer, you've got the geography layer. So geography is a lot broader when we talk about climate. We're not just talking about the meteorological climate, but we're also talking about the human climate. And that then extends to the regulatory climate, the, po the political climate, the cultural climate. You know, there's so many different ways that we use the word climate mm. and they're all applied in that layer. So then we get to the geographical layer. It's not just about the land shape anymore. It's also about where you are, how proximate you are to populations, demographic study, psychographic study, on it goes from there, right? And then what your land is capable of. So all of that sort of stuff. And then we get to the water layer and the water layer is about all of the water infrastructure based stuff um, about how you can better infiltrate it, but how you can better store it, reticulate it, treat it and so on. Um, and then we get to the access layer, not the farm roads, the access layer, because there's lots of forms of access. There's telephony. Right, that's really important to have. What's that? Telephony, um, you know, like internet access. Oh, communications access yeah. is super important in a, in any modern operation um, to be able to communicate with people. And we've seen that. We've that's been such just as an aside. How, how powerful has that been? Instagram with farmers, for example, Amazing. being able to show being able to show the beauty of what they do, and all of that. Now that can't happen without modern telephony, right? That's so. Right. That's an access provision, um, just as is electricity, just as is people getting access to people, just as are the roads and tracks and trails that you have as part of that infrastructure layer, because we'll call that an infrastructure layer. Then we've got the forestry layer. The forestry layer is the layer that, that um, concerns all biology, so flora, fauna, fungi, and all biota. 
are all considered in that layer. And then we've mm. got the then we've got the buildings layer and all that goes in with everything that's built, all that built infrastructure and buildings for animals, buildings for us, all buildings that we house things in, and so on. Then we've got the fencing layer, which is about fences, both wire, electric, natural, etc., and shepherdry. We include in that as well because um, shepherdry is a form of fancy. It's just mm. that it's the most movable and it's kind of almost invisible. Mm. And then, and then, highly psychological. And then we've got the soils layer, and that's about all of the treatments. It's what we call a management layer. So it's all about the management of soils and the treatments and the way that we will improve it and maintain it. And then we've got the economy layer. So these are the ones that we've added on to yeomans, our adaptation of yeomans. So that's the economy layer, and that's you know all that's to do with that, and our financial regulation and our self-regulation and so on, uh, our, our business planning and financial planning. And then we've got the energy layer, which is the other one that we added. And that's where we're looking at how can we maximise every outcome of photosynthesis so that that, because that's the real bottoms-up thing, and that's why I kind of look at it as well, that, it's, um, it's there because the, the photon of light is from a scale of permanence is the shortest thing that we know of, um, shortest lived thing, but it also is one of the most powerful in that it extends all the way through all of the other layers and sort of driving the whole thing. So mm. we've got that. But then we're looking at you know, what sort of power options have you got? Photovoltaics, wind, diesel, blah, 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 blah storage options, and then machinery and implements and all of that, and nutrition, human and livestock nutrition are all dealt with in that layer. So we're still still rounding that out, but the purpose of it is is basically for people to be able to, like I said, have a package of layers which then allow them to navigate their way through the complexity of any transition because this is the most challenging part, as it is with any type of transition, whether it's transitioning from being a baby to walking, it's a, it's or learning how to ride a bike or whatever it is in your life, learning how to be a, a, a an adult, um, being married, um, taking on a mortgage, all of these things that we do, we have to learn them, you know. Yes. And it helps to have someone or something that helps you navigate that and pathways of things, you know. They're like Google Maps. You know, you say, I'm going to go from here to here, um, sort of takes you on the way and, you know, rock fall here or a, or a shopping centre over there or a farmer's, I should say, not a shopping centre, a farmer's market stall <laughs> <laughs> or a really cool regenerative farm. Um, you've got stuff along the way which will, you know, have you stray, have you diverge, but you'll, you know, you'll still be on the map and that's part of what we've tried to help and that seems to have been fairly successful. And, um, yeah, and we're working with all-scale farmers. It's been really brilliant. I'm, I can't say how happy I am with that. And so the, the, there's – because I know you've been, you've been working through this. Um, it's a, a course that's online that people yep. interact as a cohort. Yeah. And then um, I remember our, in our last conversation, you were saying that you've been working on the book form of this for many yep. years, and that's, yep. that's kind <laughs> of in, in – oh. Here's my soils chapter, um, which oh is two God. pages. It's my, this has taken me over a year. This this chapter because it is it's nearly 450 pages 
And I was like, I keep saying to people, I was talking to a bloke yesterday about it, I keep having to add new shit. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be able to finish it because there's so much going on. <laughs> <laughs> I keep going, oh, God, I've got to change that again. You know, it's like um, it's really hard to manage the dynamics. But uh, anyway, yeah, the book's fun. Mm, and and. <laughs> And and the thought is that that would just be a another access point for those that couldn't, you know, do the cohort or they would have the it's a place that. They well, it's come. the supporter. I actually developed that as really a part of a pedagogy because I can't. I, you know, when you look at all of the study, all of the study I've done of successful movements, for want of a better word, or successful um, extension philosophies, um, then it's always been based around some sort of pedagogy. And so I think that that's really important. Like, and it's similar to, I, I relate it to initiation. You know, all Indigenous peoples around the world um, have, um, that are still operating as First Nations people have initiation. And that initiation is a pedagogy and it's, it, and it's super, super, super powerful in terms of being able to manage not only adaptation to change, but any change and maintenance of, of any society. So it's really important to have those resources in place because that's the blueprint that we've always followed. I've been, this word has come up more in the last like year. Peded, tell, break that word down again for me. Well, a pedagogy from what, from how I appreciate and understand it is where you've got some sort of frame, uh, educational framework which is, you know, in the modern context is usually built around some texts. Um, so there's some somewhere where you've formalised that, you might say, uh, that suite of uh, ideas and concepts and, and, uh, and so on and frameworks. Um, but then you've wrapped that into some sort of training, which then gives the possibility that people will have a better engagement and understanding of what you're trying to put across. So in the case of the Regrarian's Handbook, um, I first, my first concept was to put to paper a whole series of, well, put to paper the, the best practices and the best pathways of all of the, con of all of the concepts as part of this complexity that assist in that navigating that complexity. And that was for me personally, because I just can't remember everything. I can't remember. There's so many formulas that you have, like, I just don't have that capacity. So I found myself writing these things down and having, I had a little folder of all of my cheat sheet, you know, like a ready reckoner. That's how it started. Yeah. yeah. And then it, and then it's just grown on from there. So now it's become, oh, it's got like 400 sections and I think we're up to, I've still got two chapters to go and we're going to be looking at about uh, 13 or 1400 pages. We're over a thousand now with the soils chapter being where it's at. So it's bloody wow. complex, but it's also designed to be simple and easily read. So mm. you can go to something and it's been part of, well, <laughs> here's the thing. I've had it, I've written it so that I can understand it because I'm not that smart. So <laughs> I've said, look, <laughs> if I, I'm sort of like the, the dumb guy at the, at the end of this, all of this, and with my team, I've said, look, we have to put this together so that if I can understand it, then anybody can. And, and I mean, that's a, it's a huge, a huge project. When you say team, who, who oh, how many people? 
there's three of us. Yeah, so there's Georgie uh, Pavlov, who's my main offsider at Regrarians. And then there's Andrew Jeeves. Um, Andrew's probably best known for um, for uh, doing all of the design and illustration in Permaculture Designers Manual, Bill Mollison's big black book, as it's often called. Mm-hmm. So he did, yeah. So Andrew, yeah, Andrew and I started the team to start with. It's our project, and then we brought Georgie in to help with some of the writing and research. Yeah, because wow. he's really he's really good at that, and that freed some of my time up. So yeah, it's been great. We've had such a great time. It's been so useful to people. And and so you've offered it as an online research, but resource, but it's basically you're going to turn it into a physical manual yeah, at a yeah, certain our, point. Our concept there was to release it chapter by chapter, A, to fund it, um, but also B, to, um, which, is a, which is part of my way, is to have a highly participatory collaborative way in which we put things out there and then the world does our editing and the world does our proofing and, and the world tells us what we actually need to actually include in the print version. So we've so we've had that really cool um, process. So that when the so now that we're at what are we year six into the process, um, with some of the earlier stuff that we've got is now I won't say out of date, but needs to be updated. Yeah. And but we've had a lot of people who've we've done an amazing job with all the proofing and everything, but you never you can't ever pick up everything. And it's been great to have everyone write to us and say, Hey, we've got this idea or oh you spelt that wrong or whatever. So that's been awesome. Which doesn't normally happen. It's it become like the people who are the users of it become the owners of the project, which is awesome. That's amazing. All right, we, we, we got two more two more questions. Um, one is just a, a fun question, which is just, you know, what are, as far as like overall this experience, what are your personal practices to staying happy and healthy? <laughs> like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you do for self-care for Darren? Um, uh, um, or, well, or, do you, or you just do your life and that's... <laughs> oh, no, um, well... Um, I eat really well. I mean, one of the triggers for me getting into this space uh, was after leaving the farm, becoming involved in hospitality, which I know you did as well. And um, so because, yeah, super interested in food and good living and good eating and all comes together, I think, at the table. Mm. So that's something and that's been expressed now with this place that we're in, Creamtown, which is our family's restaurant and cafe. Um, it's all organic, reject, you know, it's all it's all the blah blah la la, you might say. <laughs> and and your ki- and your and your kids are running it. Yeah, yeah, they are with a team of uh, a whole bunch of other kids. So it's a bit of a kids spot. In fact, this place gets other places in the area, they say, Oh, that's the kids' cafe or that's the kids' restaurant. <laughs> that's <laughs> but it's, it's pretty cool, it's pretty hip. But now we've got a pretty wide cross section of people. So there's that. Um the uh, uh, otherwise, my wife and I walk quite a lot, and um, I've got a pretty deep interest in. Um... It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over forty and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. 
many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, my, my, probably my, my biggest outlet is uh, Australian rules football. Um, I love Australian rules football. I played it for a long time. I love the game. Um, and I love watching country. It's one of the, I love country football. So, um, and netball, which is, yeah. What's country football? Well, country, see, it's quite rare. In Australia, um, especially in the southern states, Australian rules football is an Indigenous game. It was developed here. And uh, every town has a football team and every town has a netball team and they all compete against, uh, compete against each other over the winter months. And it's really unique in the world, um, that sort of thing. So, um, And I really enjoy that witnessing that and the and the the society that goes around that and the friendliness mm. that goes around that you know you go it's sort of like it's you know a lot some people look at it and go well it's a proxy for warfare for clan warfare which humans have been involved with but but it's you know at the end of the, it you have your, your two hours of combat and then and then at the end you go and shake hands and go and have a beer with each other you know it's it's it, it, you know it's it's and you, and you will go to another town one week and then another week later in the year you'll go that you'll go to their town and so on they'll come to you and you'll go to them so and it, is what, it yeah. is it rugby no is it, no it's australian no. rules australian rules football australian rules football okay Rule, so, rules 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 yeah yeah afl so uh, uh yeah so it's uh, that's something i really enjoy uh, our son plays and um Outdoor, and I'm, I'm, you know, we have we have a pretty good cultural life in our part of the world, and and uh, I've got a little boat that I go out on. I've got a uh, what we call a tinny, a little a four meter uh, boat with a nine horsepower motor, a little old vintage Honda motor on it. So I like going out on lakes, and we've got lots of really good walking around here and that sort of thing as well. So yeah. But yeah, there's not a huge amount of time for that. But I do try and get my weekends, and that's that's been something that I haven't in past. Because when you're in business, especially something like this, it's all encompassing. It never really, and I think that's where you're getting to with the question is that it's really difficult to walk away with from it, um, especially with the internet now. And so having a bit of time to go out and do that and catch up with friends and eat and yeah, just get away from it is good. Totally. Well, cool. Yeah. So our our last question is um, inspired by the the Sufi poet Rumi, which is the source of where "Kiss the Ground" comes from. Mm -hmm. um, which he said, "There's um, 
Let the beauty you love be all that you do. There's hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. And my last question to you is, Darren, how do you kiss the ground? Well, I do it occasionally. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I, I, real, I did it the other day. Um, our daughter, eldest daughter, is looking to buy a block of land and she asked me to go out and meet the people on there. And I said, no, nah, I don't like going and meeting people when I go out and look at land. I'll, I'll just go out and look at it. And I did it. Um, went out and parked my vehicle on the other side. It's on it. There's a river. And I uh, parked my vehicle on the other side of the river and I made it really hard for myself to get to it, but it took me back to being a kid because I was kind of trespassing across a few people's properties and I had a, I had my jacket and I had a bunch of walnuts in my pocket, so I was sort of in survival mode because, you know, <laughs> I took myself back to some of those roots and I was by running water and, and I discovered some scar trees that the Jaja Wurrung had, had made, um, you know, in the last two or 300 years, the local, the, the First Nations um, people here in this part of the world and all that. So it was, yeah, that's how I, I kiss it. It was um, really nice to just have, because there's nothing like, I think, when you're by yourself in particular, which I enjoy a bit of self-time. And uh, that was, um, yeah, gave me, Gave you a bit of nourishment on those levels, and I'd love to do more of that um, mm. with my wife or with my kids as well. But um, yeah, just go out and have a few nuts in your in your drawer, and see if you're not going to go hungry and uh, <laughs> have a mm. bit of a wander. Mm, mm, mm. But I nearly kissed the ground figuratively. Uh, I kept thinking, how am I not going to kiss the ground uh, by tripping over and? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I know that's not what you mean. But um, it's, uh, yeah, that sort of thing is really awesome and um, just takes you out. Yeah, I, 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 I recall a memory of being a kid running through the woods with a stick in my hand um, as something that, you know, at, at, at six or seven years old, um, you know, there was just something so enlivening about it such that i can recall it 35 30 you know almost 40 years later yeah, um yeah so i i i hear you and i see you and yeah i i i i also feel that wonder being alone in the woods um and uh yeah being uh, allowing for that aliveness to come alive within me being mm. you know connected to yeah. it in that yeah. way so beautiful yeah, all right. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity. And um, I really have to say a, a hats off to you all at Kiss the Ground. You're doing an amazing job and in terms of pulling together the um, all of the fiefdoms and silos and all the rest of it and giving, pe giving people choices that they perhaps haven't, haven't, haven't had or known about in the movie and all the rest of you're doing. You, you, you're, well, for a PR firm, you're not doing too bad. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> Won't let you forget that one. Uh, uh, no, I, I, I was gonna, when I said that, I'm thinking Darren's Darren's going to use that. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, no, you're doing a great job, and um, yeah, you should be all very proud of yourselves. But we all know we have a long way to go. So, bravo. Yeah. Thank you. Likewise, really honor. Great to be with you, and thanks for taking the time. And uh, we look forward to continuing to build together. Yeah. Same. All right. Thanks, mate. All right. Awesome.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+ plus. terms and conditions apply. See website for details.